Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Finding Peaks. I almost forgot how to do this. It has been with all you the holidays. You haven't said exciting yet. I'll tell yeah, you yeah. That. No, I didn't want to do the exciting yeah. thing, though. I'm trying to be new. I'm trying to be new for you, the viewer, so you can go, you know what? I'll watch that guy more often. Anyways, Brandon Burns, Chief Executive Officer for Peaks Recovery Centers. Chief Operating Officer, Clint Nicholson. Hello. Chief Clinical Officer, Jason Friesma. Chief Fries. Welcome to the show. Yeah. Good to be back, fresh out of the holiday season. Into yeah. the holiday season. Or into the holiday yeah. season. We are yeah. in spirit. Fresh in the thick we're... of the holiday season. We are in spirit here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, for the viewers in the back, I've been listening to a lot of podcasts recently, and people start with a little, a little joke, oh. a little, oh, wow. little festive, fun yeah. conversation. I'm trying to recreate little that. Little anecdote. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It works for them. How's and, it going so And far? this is ad-free. Yeah. This is ad-free, so you're, you have that. Anyways, We're working on it. But. Brought to you by Peaks Recovery. Finding Peaks at peaksrecovery.com. Let us know if you care about our jokes. Okay. Here we, we haven't are. actually told a joke yet, though, yeah. have we? I know. Okay. Do you have a story you're going to tell, though, to start this off? I had no joke. I was oh. really hopeful you guys would bail me out no. on that. You got nothing? No. Stay with us. We're talking about dual <laughs> diagnosis to, uh, today. I was recently at uh, the NATAP conference, the National Association of Treatment Providers, and they do great work at the national level in support of uh, individuals with mental health and substance use disorders, and they gather twice per year to bring treatment providers together, talk about ethics and a lot of other important things, outcomes and so forth in the industry. I like to go in there and just talk to the marketers in the crowd and just see what's going on. And so um, when I go up and I ask people about what they do, they'll say something like, well, we do dual diagnosis. And we've talked about this on our uh, prior episodes. You can go to addiction treatment centers' websites and they will say something like, we do dual diagnosis treatment. So I'm sitting with this uh, marketer of company X and uh, they say they do dual diagnosis, and I was like, awesome, so you do mental health primary. And they're like, no, 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 it's got to have a little bit of the substance use disorder in there. And I was like, well, this is how I, I mean, I'm going to let you guys explain what dual diagnosis is, but in diving into it, ultimately my experience is that we don't really know what that means in this industry, and we really don't know what we're talking about, and this is consistent across treatment platforms. Um, namely that we're stating that we do it, but what I think we're really doing at the end of the day is stating something more like we do co-occurring disorders. So long as there is a substance use disorder primary tied to uh, severe anxious disorder or major depressive disorder or schizophrenia or whatever it is, the substance use disorder has to be at the top for treatment centers to approach it. But that's not the true nature of dual diagnosis nor the approach to it at least in my experience, and so let's just kick this off with what the heck is dual diagnosis? Because my interpretation of it is that you can have a diagnosis of a substance use disorder somewhere in the past and then a presenting major depressive disorder happening now, and it's dual diagnosis in the fact that they've been diagnosed, but they're also not happening at the same time as a co-occurring issue, which for me would mean that you could treat mental health primary within that moment under that dual diagnosis lens. Am I wrong? Am I the idiot at the conference? What's going on? <laughs> Never. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, I definitely don't think you're the idiot at the conference, Brandon, so you can just take a breath and, and feel okay with that. Okay, good. Thank you. Um, I mean, I do think you are right, and I do think um, your assessment is correct that 
uh, true dual, dual diagnosis um, is, it can be primary mental health or it could be primary substance use um, disorder as well. I do think, at least colloquially, when, when people mention dual diagnosis, it is assumed that one of those diagnoses is uh, a substance use disorder, is my experience with that word. Um, and actually, Clint and I are actually duly credentialed. We are licensed to be professional counselors, which is a mental health license, and then we're licensed addiction counselors. Um, and probably not surprisingly, there's a huge overlap between those two uh, licenses um, because the, a lot of the skills, and actually uh, a lot of the skills overlap, and I think uh, I talked about it at a previous episode of um, Finding Peaks, but I really think I would like personally, and, and I hope as a field we can move away even from calling ourselves dual diagnosis because truthfully, um, the distinction feels arbitrary. It feels like it's still, that feels like old language to say, you know what, you don't have a true mental health issue if you just are an alcoholic, you, you just have kind of a characterological problem that you just need to quit drinking. That's, that's where it just feels like antiquated uh, conceptualization of people uh, with mental health issues. Right. Absolutely. I think it comes from this idea that somehow <clears throat> substance use and mental health are different. Like there is this like grand distinction that um, if you have a substance use disorder, then you don't have a mental health issue, which by definition, substance use is a mental health diagnosis. So it's, um, again, I think arbitrary in a way. I think it's actually kind of confusing and um, can kind of conflate treatment to a certain degree. Um, I think when you... The fact is that if a dual diagnosis can be to mental health, I mean, can be, I don't know, depression and anxiety. I mean, that's technically a dual diagnosis, isn't it? Mm -hmm. uh, a co-occurring disorder would be any two diagnoses that are occurring and presenting at the exact same time. It doesn't, so this idea that substance use, you have to have this special sort of substance use disorder in order to, to activate these other mental health disorders in order to treat them doesn't, it really, it goes back, like Jason said, to sort of old thinking um, old definitions and really this this separation that you know we've talked about in length, but uh, um, that somehow mental health diagnoses and substance use disorders are different, and I think that again getting rid of that language is um, one good way to help try to to eliminate this sort of um, barrier that actually doesn't really exist. Yeah. And the, the, the project here for the, the viewers at the end of the day, of course, is just to familiarize yourself for how this industry works. At least when I'm in this host seat, that's what I'm really trying to get at um, in as many ways as I possibly can to inform you and help you when you call an addiction treatment center and, they, and you say, my son and daughter is dual, dually diagnosed, can you help that? They're going to say yes. But... It's not clear to me that when I talk to treatment centers, particularly their marketers, that they're aware of like, what that really means and what they're actually treating and whether or not there's an actual approach to that at the end of the day, other than catchphrases on websites to get phone calls to ring. And so what I'm advocating for here is uh, certainly education and also, too, responsibility on the part of treatment centers that if you're going to put this stuff on your website, you better do it um, and take it seriously because there are families desperate out there for dual diagnosis care and approaches uh, at the end of the day. So off my soapbox. That's okay. my soapbox. Welcome. Well, well played. Yeah, welcome. Appreciate yeah, it. Thank you. Nice. Um, so, and it's also, too, that I think um, I th we were talking about this a little bit uh, earlier as well, too, but it, it does seem to be like... Um, 
that we're just going to work on this major depressive disorder thing that's in the brain, and we're going to work on this SUD thing that's causing the alcoholism and things at the end of the day. And, but that's not really how treatment works, right? We're working on a variety of different features that are helping and supporting the individual live a better life, not necessarily curing those ailments within 45-day episodes, 90 or even six months to a year long, but gradually and slowly but surely making their lives better. And so within dual diagnosis approach to you know, treatment, if we're treating somebody with major depressive disorder, uh, for example, um, that's going to take a while to really nurture and treat as a diagnosis. So I was hopeful that maybe we could talk a little bit about what we're actually trying to alleviate in between in that time period to improve the life. You know, maybe it starts with getting out of bed and putting, you know, getting sunshine on your face and these sort of things, but it seems like in a very clinical sense that the project is greater than just these diagnosed things at the end of the day. Yeah, I mean, I, th <clears throat> I think you're exactly right. I think, I think it's really important, you know, when we consider treating somebody with uh, depression, um, I think there are things that need to occur, medications usually, uh, you know, alternative um, or, or kind of new and progressive treatments like, like TMS, like we've talked about, or um, other ideas uh, are important. And then there is an entire set of behaviors that I think that need to be um, encouraged and installed with people in education uh, around uh, how to manage um, depression and how to notice warning signs of relapse of depression. That's I mean, I, I really, it's interesting that we are talking about this because it has been on the forefront of our mind lately of how do we really begin to nurture um, the language we use at Peaks to say, uh, to merge these mental health issues with substance use and depression and how do we begin to say, like, there are signs you can tell when maybe you're, you're not sleeping uh, as you should, you're oversleeping, or, or you're not eating as you should, you're not getting the nutrients you need, or you've stopped exercising. These are warning signs that your depression is likely beginning to relapse. And, it, and it's fascinating how similar it is if you just overlay alcohol, mm -hmm. heading all in the same direction. Because ultimately, if somebody comes into our program and they have depression, and they have an eating disorder, and they misuse alcohol and cannabis, um, Frankly, they're all, those three things are usually just symptoms of the same kind of underlying and driving forces and literally require very similar paths toward recovery for, for all of those. It, it isn't, we have to separate out eating disorder and separate out depression and, and separate out addiction. Like, we have to kind of teach skills and build resilience and also um, probably in long-term recovery, you know, in long-term recovery from all of those, like deal with kind of the etiology of it. So, <clears throat> yeah, I think that what we've um, in the past kind of looked at is treating symptoms, right? Um, like you have this one specific symptom that is presenting itself with major depressive disorder. So, so we go after that one symptom. Um, but that, again, kind of keeps us at the surface level and doesn't necessarily in, invite the clinician or the doctor to go further beyond that and kind of look at the systemic issues that are going on. And that doesn't necessarily um, you know, mean that it's all about insight, though, and developing insight into you know, where these like, deep-seated feelings are coming from. It's also the systemic issues that come from just daily living. Like, how do I live my life? How do I, uh, how do I actually change and adjust my 
my day-to-day -day behavior to support my long-term recovery. And whether that's in, um, again, like Jason said, recovery is, it's a mental health thing too. It has, I, I think that we use that term and we automatically jump to this idea of substance use, but it's not. I mean, you can relapse from depression, you can relapse from schizophrenia, you can relapse from uh, anxiety. I mean, all of these things happen because the, again, the behaviors that have been, uh, or coping strategies that have been addressed or adopted um, essentially stop working or you stop using them. So. So, and I, so this is all my beliefs, all of everything that I've, you know, certainly wanted to be for, and really energized by this discussion. Um, so, you know, in that regard, it, it seems actually very accessible to actually provide dual diagnosis treatment, right? I mean, take it seriously with licensures and, you know, the, the, the people actually equipped to be able to handle, you know, the complexity of such uh, diagnoses at the end of the day. but. So what are some of the, you know, so some, somebody comes into Peaks and they have major depressive disorder and maybe they smoked pot 30 days ago, but it's not a primary concern, but it is a thing that, you know, kind of gets entangled within that depressive disorder. Um, you know, at the same time at Peaks, we've got somebody coming in with, you know, a significant uh, heroin or opioid use disorder on this side and maybe several months ago they felt, you know, depressed as an episode. So you're treating these individuals kind of at the same time and, um, and then in our industry, I think in the way at that service level, wants to kind of just push them off into their own centers and say they're two independent things. But um, what I hear and what I experience here certainly is that we're still looking at a brain disorder of some sort, and it feels reasonable and manageable to actually have them in the same group, stop talking about the darn diagnoses and what's contributing to um, the diagnoses themselves, but the relapse potential for them. And, I mean, call me out if I'm wrong here, but sometimes it feels like the thing that's going on for the major depressive disorder, you know, can't get up out of bed, motivated, and so forth, is also happening with the opioid use disorder. And so the underlying behavioral issues often look the same and makes it manageable to have them in the same group and operate from that direction. I mean, I, 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 what I thought of when you were saying that, Brandon, like it, if somebody comes in um, and sits and does counseling with me, for instance, and they have a heroin addiction, you'd be shocked at how little times the word heroin comes out of my mouth. You know what I mean? Like, it, yeah. we don't, you know, maybe at an intake just to kind of get the background and all that, like, we'll talk about it, but like, that isn't the thing, yeah. right? Like, there, there's all the other things. There's, there's grief, there's resilience, there's shame, there's all these other things that, that are truly what we talk about and, and building a support system and, and, um, and really those, those all apply to whatever malady brings somebody, like if somebody needs inpatient treatment for mental health issue, they're, they're in jeopardy too. Their life is in jeopardy just as much as somebody um, who uses fentanyl or something. Like it may look different, it does look different. But, but like I said, I, you know, it's not like 45 days of heroin treatment means all we talk about are war stories and needles yeah. and, and black tar and all that. that. That is not the case at all. There's all the other things that are underneath that, the, the human that's underneath all that and, and yeah. that, so. And all of, in, in both of those issues, whether you, you, you struggle with depressive episodes or you struggle with opiate addiction, there's a similar fallout in your life that has to be also addressed, right? Like all of those, those, two, those two diagnoses impact life in the same way. They destroy relationships, they interrupt stability, they, they completely, um, they create barriers to self-growth and self-insight. All of those same things happen at the same time. They just happen for different reasons. But the reality is, like Jason said, that 
uh, you're always talking about the, the sort of underlying motivations and the underlying things that are happening rather than just going in. It's just similar, similarly with depression. You don't just sit there and just talk about depression all At the all. time. I mean, that's, be that so would be depressing. like the absolute <laughs> yeah. worst counseling session in the world. So tell me how depressed you are yeah. right now. It doesn't it make any awful. sense. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so similarly, you're not going to just say, so tell me about all the heroin you did. Like that is yeah. not going to get anybody better. You know, there, it's everything around it that is actually what you're focusing on. And the reality is that life around any diagnosis is um, really similar in the sense that it's, it's interrupted, it's disruptive, and it needs a different approach and intervention strategy to help it sort of be redirected and revigorized and reinvigorized rather. Yeah, love it. We're on fire right now, <laughs> yeah. I feel like. And yeah. I, hope, I hope it's burning on the Vigorized, other side of the screen. Yeah, 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 yeah <laughs> absolutely. The, this is good Just stuff. Come up with words, yeah. What I, what I think I wanna, uh, I'm in a lane of curiosity here now. So, okay, so we have these underlying things. So I was, I was thinking about it on my drive back from NATAP, thinking about like, cocaine use disorder, right? That somebody has these underlying conditions for which they're operating under, and somebody with major depressive disorder has these underlying you know, things, behavioral or otherwise, that are happening. And it just seems like at the level of cocaine use, you hear there's all types of war stories about people who have very similar traumatic backgrounds you know, happening at different times for different reasons and so forth, but two traumatized people can go to the party in the club at night both engage in cocaine use significantly that night. One will put it down and never come back, and the other one gets fired up about it and shoots off in the, you know, the, the difficult direction of having a cocaine use disorder. But it, it seems like one person is just more vulnerable or susceptible to that in the way that the other person isn't. And so the drug use or the addiction actually takes place out of that vulnerability rather than two individuals who still need to nurture these underlying behaviors. This one just didn't get addicted, and so maybe it goes you know, unseen, but this individual is still struggling deeply as much as this individual over here. And if we're vulnerable to drugs, are we also vulnerable to those major depressive disorder states and anxious states um, as well, too, differently than other people who experience similar symptomology? Well, I think in, in kind of this theme of dual diagnosis, like, um, I did a lot of work with uh, guys in the Army coming back from Iraq and Afghanistan before uh, Fort Carson here locally uh, got, you know, kind of got the Wounded Warrior Project and all the other things going. Um, so I was just a community therapist and all of a sudden I'd, I was inundated with all these guys coming in um, from the field. And, you know, I like to say, like with, with PTSD, you know, if, Six guys in a in an armored personnel carrier gets blown up. Two people die. Two people get PTSD. Two people shake it off and keep going. It it, it has it, and it's kind of unpredictable. Um, to your point, and there probably are factors, but like we can't describe, we can't predict. I at least last I knew, we can't really predict who's going to get PTSD out of it and who isn't. But to your point, like people are differently susceptible to the same. It, the literally the same stimulus event that occurs. That's what I observed happen. Um, and I think it absolutely applies to the same thing. Like some people, to your point, try a hard drug. We're like, okay, that could take or leave that. And other people are like, that is uh, a glove going onto my hand. That, that is a natural fit for me. Um, and and it's, it, the parallels are just remarkable, I think. When you, and, and you mentioned a minute ago, like why would this be so hard to treat these two things, but because our entire industry bases upon it. We have two different licenses 
for mainly overlapping skill sets, to be yeah. honest with you. Yeah. Um, and I think it's just an antiquated, if you ask me, an antiquated thing. And now, yeah, yeah I don't know. Go ahead. Well, I, I agree. I think that you know you have two people that come in with PTSD, and then you, when the especially when they're coming into treatment, what you're seeing are just maladaptive responses to that, right? So one person's <coughs> maladaptive response might be to use heroin. Another person's maladaptive response might be to restrict food, yeah. you know, or to um, maybe goes maybe they start to develop and go into these depressive states where they're completely detached from the world and their relationships start falling apart. Um, you know, it's the reality is that when it that's really what we're treating. We're just treating maladaptive behavioral responses to triggers in the world, right? Um, so I think that again, it this idea of having these that we we live in these sort of separate treatment worlds of mental health or addiction, it's just not true. I right. mean, it's in the end, it's just a. You know, I, I've responded to something in a maladaptive way and it's destroying my life. Regardless of what that presentation or behavior is, I'm falling apart and so I need help. And that's what we do, right? Yeah, and to, to be clear too, like there's, there are nuances of treatment that do need to be specific, right? Sure. Like you can't, everybody just can't walk in and you're like, oh, you have anxiety, here's Prozac. You have depression, here's Prozac. You have a heroin addiction, here's Prozac. Like you, right. there yeah. has to be, nuanced treatment for all these things. And certainly in individual therapy, um, some form of relapse prevention or what, there will be individualized aspects of it. But you know, the overall core, um, I think is remarkably similar on the treatment of all these things with some little pieces of nuance. Absolutely, certainly more similar than we ever really talk about or give yeah. credit. Yeah. But again, yeah, to Jason's point, like. It is more complex than that, or else this would be a cakewalk, right? Yeah, but there, there yeah. is definitely um, there is definitely nuance and uh, and specificity and specialization. Um, but ultimately, as I think clinicians, you recognize that really you're just treating people in pain. You know, yeah, really what it comes down to. Yeah, it it it's a fascinating hyphenated. Like, is it hyphenated dual diagnosis, or is it just two mm -hmm. words? To I think co-occurring is co-occurring. Co-occurring co or you can like smush it together. You can do it oh. that way. Yeah. Yeah. Co-occurring. Yeah. Co Later we'll figure <laughs> yeah. out the spelling of this, but right. it's it's a it's it's language that's used all across the board. I think as a society we're very familiar with it as a language and kind of what it means, but it's it's interesting that it is all the little things you know sort of below the surface of the language that's taking place at the end of the day and how still within the framework of addiction treatment centers, and to be absolutely charitable, this is not all treatment centers, of course, I'm just talking about the ones I picked on at this conference, uh, you know, and their marketers, bless their hearts, they do PHPs. <laughs> the, uh, at the end of the day, uh, where do I wanna, how do I wanna take this out on? Is that though we're saying we do this, how quickly it's treated as this binary thing that the right. SUD has to be this presenting factor or else substance use disorder treatment, or as a substance use disorder treatment, or as an addiction treatment center, we can't treat anything else that's going on if we can't minimally tie it to that SUD language. And so the, my point here to the family systems that uh, are watching this, if you haven't tuckered out yet um, in that regard, is to be mindful of that when you're calling places and ask those thoughtful questions about that uh, at the end of the day, because if your loved one's presenting with mental health as a primary major depressive disorder and they smoke pot, you know, or whatever the case was 30 days prior, 
um, that on those excited admissions line, they're going to say, yes, we treat dual diagnosis. Yes, we can handle that. Oh, and I heard that, that, that substance use disorder thing in the background. Yeah, we can definitely do that. But it's not about the pot in that condition, right? We're treating something unique, and you want to find a center that can commit to that as a project. Um, or all of its underlying features and treat those individuals equally in a room with opioid use disorders and everything else that's going on. So um, that's kind of my general takeaway here that I want to leave the crew with. Any final words from you guys about this? Though I thought you guys were well spoken. Uh, you thank you. Really good. It. I Full think stop. I made up a word. It's usually what I say at the end of yeah. things. Full stop. Full stop. Yeah. Gold stars. Gold stars. Oh, gold stars. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. There's Seems green and red too, but gold's the best. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's my joke. You guys got it. The viewers got it too. That's it for us here at Finding Peaks um, regarding dual diagnosis. Hopefully, we were able to dive a little bit deeper into that, elaborate on a little bit, um, pull out some of the frustrations from that language, and give you all um, greater information to uh, guide treatment for your loved ones, your family members, and so forth. Um, Finding Peaks at peaksrecovery.com. Questions, thoughts, ideas. Hated your jokes, Brandon. Send it all to that space. Find us on the Facebooks, the Twitters, the Instagrams. What else is YouTube. out there? Uh, YouTubes. Yeah, yeah, iTunes or iTunes. Uh, Podcast. Pod, yeah. I'll get it That's right one day. Right. Uh, appreciate you all for joining us. Until next time, <laughs> we are out.